Last week, we uh, talked a little about the absolute necessity that all Jesus followers have to make every effort to be unified with our brothers and sisters in Christ. We have to give time and energy, patience and effort to being open and respectful and clear and personal in our communication with other followers of Jesus, with others who are seeking to, to hear God's Word and to follow it. I mean, it's, it's a command. I mean, it's a, an overwhelming command, an overwhelming pursuit for any New Testament Christian to make every effort to be unified with fellow believers. Now that challenge, though, begs another question, a more difficult question. But it begs the question, who then are our believers, our our brothers and sisters in Christ? Yeah, it's a tough question. It's biblical, though, pursuit of what the New Testament writers call, and what we've called in church history, discernment. Discernment of false prophets from true prophets. Especially when it comes to the leadership or teachers of the church, those who claim to be Christian. I mean, just like there are tools that a a jeweler will have to be able to tell, is this the real thing? Should we just throw it in the offering plate when it goes by? Or is it just costume jewelry? Just bling. Not the real thing. What we have in our passage today in 1 John are the tools some of the tools, some of the, the guidelines. How do we, we know the false gospel from the true gospel? And how do we know those that are proclaiming the false gospel from the true gospel? I mean, just because someone claims the name of Jesus doesn't necessarily mean they're following Him. Just like we always say, just because you're in a garage doesn't make you an automobile. John writes this letter to the church in that that early period of church development. You know, the first and second generation of of Christians. I mean, those people that saw Jesus and the people that were directly related to the people that saw Jesus. All of them had been around at Pentecost when the Spirit came upon them. And this is that, that day of the explosion of the growth, the tsunami of Jesus upon the community. And so people from all shapes, sizes, thoughts, and beliefs are surrounding the church, trying to participate in this wave of Jesus followers. And some are taking the church in the wrong direction in these early days. And so John, in this letter, will give us some of the tools. But but before we go there, we have to recognize that this pursuit, even this question, is very dangerous territory. It's necessary 
I mean, John tells us, our, tells us in verse, chapter 4, verse 1, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. In chapter 2, verse 18, Children, it is the last hour. As you have heard, that Antichrist is coming, so now many, many Antichrists have come. So there are false teachers at work trying to persuade others motivated for own personal gain or even the work of the evil one to, to break the church at this crucial early stage. But it's dangerous territory discerning false teachers from true teachers and, and even some implications of that to false believers to true believers. It's dangerous territory because it's really easy to slip from discernment to being judgmental. And so we must have, as we look at this passage, we must have in the back of our minds always whispering the words of Jesus when He told us, be careful that you don't focus all your attention on the speck of dust in the eye of your neighbor when you got a two-by-four sticking out of the side of your head. Keep Jesus' word in our background and also recognize from church history the times that the church has turned discernment into a witch hunt and has turned that discernment into judging others unworthy of even living. I mean, and it can happen to the best of us. I mean, even in our history, Calvin, John Calvin, one of the, the founding fathers of Reformed theology, when he got into power, used the gift of discernment to then burn a heretic at the stake. That's not the finest hour of the church. So that's why it's important that we tiptoe into this question and walk through it clear understanding of the biblical guidelines. And, and what we find here in John are three basic tests. The social test, the moral test, the doctrinal test. And we'll, we'll look clearly, a little more clearly at them. That, uh, but you'll hear them. The, the call that false teachers... Do they love like Jesus? Do they obey Jesus? And do they teach Jesus is the Son of God? Let's pray together. Gracious God, thank You for Your Word. Thank You for Your, your truth. Thank You for the marvelous light of Jesus and of Your Spirit as You lead us in ways that are right and good and true. Speak to us. Speak to our hearts to hear and experience you and to our hands and feet so that we do what you lead us to do. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Our passage is 1 John chapter 4, verse 13 is where we'll start. If uh, we need to turn the lights up a little bit so folks can read it, let's uh, do that because I don't think it's on the screen. 
It's found on page 991 in your pew Bible. First John chapter 4, verse 13. Going through chapter 5, verse 5. By this we know that we abide in Him and He in us because He has given us of His Spirit. And we have seen and do testify that the Father has sent His Son as the Savior of the world. God abides in those who confess that Jesus is the Son of God and they abide in God. So we have known and believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and those who abide in love abide in God, and God abides in them. Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness on the day of judgment, because as He is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not reached perfection in love. We love because He first loved us. Those who say, I love God, and hate their brothers or sisters, are liars. For those who do not love a brother or sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. The commandment we have from Him is this. Those who love God must love their brothers and sisters also. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the parent loves the child. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey His commandments. For the love of God is this, that we obey His commandments. And His commandments are not burdensome. For whatever is born of God conquers the world. And this is the victory that conquers the world, our faith. Who is it that conquers the world but the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The first test, guideline that's mentioned in this passage then is the doctrinal test. What do teachers believe? What do they teach? And here are a couple other passages in 1 John that are on the screen. If you're so inclined and want to look at those now or later, feel free. Because what we'll see, these, these three guidelines are really three streams that run throughout John's letter to the church. In the first guideline here, that false teachers won't teach that Jesus is the unique one, the Messiah, the sent one, the Son of God. They will false teachers will not teach that God is or that Jesus is God in the flesh. The way the false teachers in John's day, Jesus was a good man, fully human, maybe had a little special blessing from God, was a great teacher and a healer with powerful godly gifts. Now this has been a huge challenge for the church to mature around this particular guideline. I mean, it's been a real journey for the Christian church. I mean, this was not really clearly spelled out until 350 years into church history. 
the, the Nicene Creed, which at the, when I finish, we will say together. The Nicene Creed is the, the, the creed that is most accepted by the Christian church around the world and throughout the ages. It's the only creed, and even then, with a little correction here or there, we can't be totally perfect, but it is the only one that would be spoken today in Eastern Orthodox churches, the Greek Orthodox Church or the Syrian Orthodox or any of those Orthodox churches from the Eastern part of the world, of the globe, also accepted and spoken in Roman Catholic congregations, and then also received and accepted in the Western Church, in the, the Protestant Church. It's the only creed that has such wide acceptance. And it's the one that finally put into writing the the hundreds of years of battle that the church had of exactly who is Jesus. And in the battle, the argument uh, as folks gathered in those days was around one letter. It was actually the Nicene Creed. It was just an apostrophe in the Greek. We would translate it as an H. If the apostrophe, the first letter of this word, was there, then it was saying that Jesus is the same essence as God. If you remove the apostrophe, then what the word says is Jesus is like God. Close, but, but like Him. And the whole discussion and discernment was around that one apostrophe because of the significance what it meant. It was approved in the Nicene Creed, and when we say it, you'll see, they, they go on and on about Jesus being from the Father. And, and you know why? Because of the history. But it took another 120 years for that to really be the teaching within the congregations of the Christian church. There's another 120 year struggle, growth, maturing process led by the Spirit of God to, to come to the place in 451 in Chalcedon when it was finally said once and for all that the church received his teaching from John and said, this is our orthodox understanding of Jesus. So the first guideline that he gives is about Jesus. Teaching about Jesus is Jesus of God. The second one is social. Chapter 4, verse 16 and 20 and 21. And you see other passages that are on the screen. So we have known and believe the love that God has for us. Those who say, verse 20, I love God and hate their brothers or sisters are liars. For those who do not love a brother or sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. Now this one's a little easier to de define in the sense of, well, yeah, those that are truly following Jesus are going to love like Jesus loved. It's a little harder to do. John gives further definition in chapter 3, verse 14. 
We know that we've passed from death to life because we love one another. Whoever does not love abides in death. All who hate a brother or sister are murderers, and you know that murderers do not have eternal life abiding in them. We know love by this, that He laid down His life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for one another. How does God's love abide in anyone who has the world's goods and sees a brother or sister in need and yet refuses help? In the way, the love of Jesus becomes the love of Jesus' followers. Another guideline, another signpost of true versus false gospel. Now, it's challenging, maybe even disheartening, even scary, that that John's not a guy that likes to live on the edge. You know, sort of painting in grays. He paints with two colors. And so he wants to make it clear, especially in his day, because all that is at stake. He wants to be clear as this fledgling church is just beginning. So that's why he paints in such stark colors. As I consider this particular signpost... The social test, the love test. It's this signpost that enables me or leads me to dismiss the ministry of Fred Phelps. You've probably seen him on the news and heard him in different places. And he and his group travel to funerals, specifically of homosexuals and others. And there they picket protest, the funeral, the gravesite, shouting that the uh, deceased is going to hell and so are any of others that are there. His website is godhatesfags.com. That's the church website. As I read John, and as I look at that ministry, I can find nothing that parallels the loving ministry of Jesus. I find hatred. I find a a murderous spirit. But I, I don't find the Spirit of God present in that. So, I would say, based on John, that what he's teaching is false, A wrong gospel. Bling, not the real thing. So, I don't feel the need to be united with Him in Christian unity. There's the doctrinal signpost. There's the social one, to love. And then third, the moral test. Chapter 5, verse 2 and 3. By this... We know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey His commandments. For the love of God is this, that we obey His commandments. Here is the call to obey. And again, other passages that are before you. That if we abide in Jesus, the Spirit lives in us, then there will be the movement in those that are teaching the way of Jesus, 
there will be that same obedience in their lives. There will be a righteousness, an honesty, a goodness. Now again, this is challenging. What are the commandments of Jesus? Well, he doesn't list them for us. What are the the commandments that we're supposed to obey? Again, that is a great challenge that I'll leave with you. Give some other guidance in a little bit, but there aren't any. There's not a list to sort of check off. But there is a signpost here for us to understand. Remember, this is a number of years ago, I was on staff with an individual who um, was helping to lead and, and teach in the uh, ministry of this particular church. And it came known to us that he was living with his girlfriend. And so we went to talk to him. And said, you know, that's your position of leadership that's inappropriate. We don't think that is following the the ways of Jesus. What Jesus would have us do in our relationships. To which he responded with, oh, okay. Went to the scriptures and looked at it. That makes sense. So he moved out. They separated for a season and then continued their relationship and now happily married with, I think, five kids now. So these guidelines aren't just to say who's out and who's in, but they're, they're guidelines to direct us and to lead us so as not just to, to, not to condemn, but even to correct and they're, they're guidelines to line up with one another. A friend of mine that grew up on the farm said, these are guidelines of discernment. They're, they're tests of discernment that help you hoe a straight row in the field. Because when you're hoeing a straight row, you've you got a huge field in front of you, and you don't just look for one item to focus your attention on to make it a straight row. Because if you just focus on that one thing, then you can go cattywampus every which direction and still look at that one thing. But when you line up, he said, if you get on the end of the field and you line up one tree with another tree and then another tree so that they're all in alignment then if you keep those trees in alignment, those fence posts in alignment, whatever it is, your marker on the other side, that will enable you to hoe a straight row the whole way through. It's not just one or two, but the three that line up together. It's not an exact science. Not a, as we said at the beginning, a dangerous territory, yet very important and significant. And even Jesus, in his teaching, recognized and speaks to the sense of this not being some clear, precise, theological tool. Here are two statements of Jesus from the Gospel of Luke, just separated by a chapter or two. On the one hand, Luke 9 Do not stop him, for whoever is not against you is for you. And then just a little bit later, 
Luke chapter 11. Whoever is not with me is against me. And whoever does not gather with me scatters. Now there are two very different contexts that Luke is addressing and that Jesus is talking to, but it demonstrates clearly how we're we're not talking about just one precise line, but we're talking about an area. an, An area of discernment given these fence posts and guidelines as the Spirit leads us to continue to hear and know and follow the true gospel. It's interesting to me some of the things that aren't listed here. It really makes for a rather broad, expansive picture of the church, even with these three guidelines. As we enter back into the world, I mean, there are false teachers all around. And the, the fence posts are there for us, our protection, our correction, our guidance, and our help to discern with with some clarity just what it means to be fellow followers of Jesus, what we hold in common. Jesus as the Son of God, Jesus as the way of life, the way of love, and Jesus the one of righteousness, of obedience. And we join together in those ways. We are the unified church of Jesus Christ. Now, I hope that there's been some clarity, but maybe even more questions. And invite you, like I did last week, to join with me around 1230 in Fellowship Hall. Um, We'll have something to drink there, but just you can... uh, Go get something to eat and bring it and I'll be there for an hour. And if the discussion's great and you guys are going at it, you can stay. i got to leave at 1.30. But from 12.30 to 1.30, just to continue to explore and discuss together. What is John teaching us? How, how do we live this out? How do we walk between Jesus' two statements? How do we hold them in tension with one another as we continue to reach out and live out the unity we have in Christ walking together according to the fence posts that John has given us. Now what I'd like for us to do is join together in that unity at least in word using the words of the Nicene Creed. Joining with fellow brothers and sisters in Christ not only around the world, but even throughout the ages. I mean, when we say these words together, we are joining with brothers and sisters in Christ from all different stripes and types today who have said these same words. And we are joining with brothers and sisters in Christ who have gone before us over 2,000 years of church history. These are the words of the Nicene Creed penned in the early 4th century. Let's stand and affirm what we believe. Brothers and sisters in Christ, what do we believe? We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, 
maker of heaven and earth, of all that is, seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father. Through Him all things were made, for us and for our salvation. He came down from heaven, was incarnate of the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary, and became truly human. For our sake, He was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried. On the third day, He rose again in accordance with the Scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead. And His kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the Giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son is worshipped and glorified, who has spoken through the prophets. We believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen.